Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. But he's not going to be there next week, and he can't be. The game simply can't allow a player with such a demeanour to bump into an umpire proactively in the manner that he did to Matt Stevick at three-quarter time. It's a long time since we've seen anything like that. You could draw Greg Williams to mind, and it's actually more overt than what Greg Williams did all those years ago. And it's not just a one-week suspension either. Don't fall into anyone who has a debate around Toby Green. This action in the game was just... Everybody, as soon as you saw it the first time, you went, oh, hell, you simply can't do that. It's got nothing to do with personalities. It's simply the action. And if the game is serious, it will be a multi-week suspension. Yeah, we saw you had a collision with the umpire running past. Was that looked like your tractor being running towards your teammates and an accidental bit of contact? Oh, I, I don't know what it was. Yeah, just in the moment. And, um, no, I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't even touch him. I think I was just talking to him about, um, about something in the game. But, yeah. Right, you could tell us a total accident. It's actually quite terrible. That really is quite terrible, trying to excuse it in that way. That has no place in the coverage of the game. This is about respect and actions towards umpires and Toby Green has strayed clearly the wrong side of that and try to pretend that it is something otherwise on the endorsed and official version of the game on television that that is that is really not on that's uh, I have a visceral reaction to that that is no good this will be in the hands of the tribunal and Toby we won't see Toby Green play again this year if the game is serious about the respects and the protection that umpires warrant, uh, this is going to be a serious suspension. And there was nothing accidental about it, if you watch it quite clearly. It's D-Day today for Toby Green. Does the MRO send him straight to the tribunal? Will he be free to play in a semi-final next week? Or does the game say you absolutely can never and under no circumstances make that kind of contact with an umpire at any stage? Will we get the strongest possible response? We will wait and see. It's a massive day today. They swell numbers at it. Socket by Hogan. Green fell over. Green got up. Green kicked the goal. And the Giants do find a way. He gives a hand pass to Franklin. First genuine look. Oh. Wrong foot's an opponent. And check sides it through for a beauty. That's finals, buddy. Fisted away. Grabbed by Tom Green. The forward handball is good to Sproul. Toby's back. Sprightly as ever. Through the pack. You can chalk another one down. That's three for Toby. Buddy gains some momentum, goes left, thumps it at goal. It's long and strong and straight. He has a taste for it for certain. Franklin's got three. But Isaac Heaney lining up for goal number four from 20 metres out. It's back to seven. And the Swans fans rise at Launceston. 
It was set up. Somehow the Giants have withstood it all. The Swans have blown their chances. The Giants advance to a semi-final. Finals football in Tasmania arrives with a bang. And that's gut-wrenching stuff for the heartbroken Swans. Who can't believe they've fallen short. And the Giants somehow withstand a last quarter all-out assault to hold the line against the surging Swans and they book a semi-final engagement against the Cats at Optus Stadium next week after both teams gave us an enthralling elimination final at Utah Stadium. It was a thriller right to the end. Just drives one up towards centre wing, went over the back, Rivers did well, but then a shocking handball straight into the arms of Cameron. It was a gift. He then fumbles it, but he composes himself, runs into the open goal. Charlie Cameron will make you pay. He's got two, he's on fire, and the Lions are off. Donald took it out, tried to get a kick away. Now Pickett, snap from the pocket. Oh, well, Lee, that's a ripper. They need this, the Lions, to stay in the hunt, and McCluggage likes it. Here come the Lions. Scoreless this corner and McCluggage said we're not done with yet. Fagan is down on the bench, he's roaring too. The hot spot, ball over the back. Here's Christopher Trucker. There's the icing on the cake. It's party time at Adelaide Oval. And the red and the blue army. They are loving every bit of it. He's got his second. There's going to be D supporters waiting a long, long time. They're in a prelim. They've got their shot at the big time. And there it is. Melbourne through to a preliminary final. They defeat the Lions by 33 points here at Adelaide Oval. They rejoice, shake hands, and here is a grand old flag. It's a grand And they may be demons by name, but could they face and overcome the demons of their past? That was the big question facing Melbourne, and they answered in the most emphatic way possible to tame the Lions and take a first big step in ending the Norm Smith curse through to a prelim in two weeks. That and a whole lot more to talk about. You're listening to Sunday Crunch Time. Ah, yes, indeed. Finals footy. Would you want to be anywhere else? The greatest time of the year. And haven't we got off to a cracking start? There is a heap on the agenda today. Sam Hargraves, Brett Phillips, Nick Dalsano, our crunch time expert for car sales. Sell your car in 24 hours with car sales instant offer. We are going to dedicate a full segment of the show to what happened with Toby Green and Matt Stevich yesterday. We think there's a lot to work through. We will hear from Jared Waitley, who was very strong on this yesterday. We'll hear from Leon Cameron, the Giants coach. We've heard from Toby Green in the opener as well, and we will get the views of Nick Dal Santo, and we'll get your views too on the Southern Phone open line as well, and you can get involved with us all day on the social feedback for Summit Internet, Faster Business Internet. Head to at AFL Nation on Twitter, and you can text us 0433 98 11 16 but we want to get to the games because they have been phenomenal so far especially the Giants and the Swans yesterday we'll talk about the Demons and that massive step they took to eradicating the Norm Smith curse but let's welcome in our team (laughs) Brett Phillips hello 
Hello, Sam. You asked, where else would you want to be? I'm going to be really honest uh, right from the start. Now, if the world was normal, I'd be in New York right now preparing for a US Open. You would? But would you rather be there? I always want to be in two places at once. And footy and tennis are my great loves. And September, we're not quite there yet. Late August, early September, uh, finals footy. And I'm excited. We're going to obviously dissect a lot of what has happened. But I've called a lot of the dogs and the bombers this year and... That's the final that uh, I wanted to call out of the probably the four because they've been the two most attractive to watch in terms of scoring and just uh, uh, just the quality of play. So that's ahead of us. So much to look back on. Nick Dale Sano, good afternoon, mate. Very good afternoon to you both. So where would I rather be right now? Yes. Well, the simple answer is in Tassie. I want to see that game live. Yeah. And yep. we saw a glimpse of what finals football looked like yesterday in Tasmania. That, that surface at Launceston, Utah yeah, Stadium, is a delight. Yep. Um, it's a beautiful place to be able to play football. It was a beautiful day there yesterday. I don't know if the conditions are going to be that nice today, but we'll wait to see how that yes. plays out. Yeah, it was a drone over the ground yesterday. That looked it brilliant, just, didn't it? It made me think uh, to five, ten years down the track of a team in Tasmania, uh, packed out yep. Launceston Ground, Hobart. Cool afternoon. It looks good. Brilliant it city. looks good. And we got a brilliant game of football yep. yesterday, and I think we're going to get something similar today. I sit here right now, and we're still two and a half, three hours away from the first bounce. And honestly, no idea how it's going to play out. I think you can mount a case for both teams, mm. which means we're in for an absolute ripper, I think. Yeah, Western Bulldogs have been the better team for the year, but the Bombers come in in much better form. So what do you what's, what do you go off? What's, what's, where do you measure? And, and, and how do you make up your yeah. mind on what's more important coming into a final? We'll have that to talk about. But it, finals, we, we build up our expectations, don't we, to, to hopefully getting – Classics and thrillers, and yeah, didn't quite get that on Friday night. And maybe there'll be people. Still that a did, great game. Yeah, I loved Friday night. What mm. Port Adelaide did, I think, is, and we'll spend some time on that a little bit later. I know the guys on Saturday crunch time. The A team got through that. Sorry, Dell. Uh, in <laughs> in very strong fashion. So yesterday, though, the Giants and the Swans. That goes down as a, an instant classic for these two teams. Three and zero now. Yep. The Giants in finals against the Swans. So they go. They were 29 points up early in the third quarter. They've got 19 points up going into the last quarter. They parked the bus. It had shades of the 2019 prelim where they held on against Geelong. Park the bus, fortify the walls, dig in, and we stand an all-out barrage. 17 to 8, the inside 50s in the last quarter, favouring the Swans. They kick two goals, seven. Mm and go down by a point. You speak about that previous final. It also replicated their second meeting earlier this year. Yep. Where, For those that can remember, the Giants were up by about 30 points at halftime BP. They kicked 16 points in total in the second half. Yep. Yesterday, they're up by 23 points at halftime, 19 at three-quarter time. They kicked 17 points in the second half. Mm. So we're sitting here calling the game. And, and Hutto asked the question. It was per- He saw it brilliantly. It was within a, the first few minutes of the last quarter. And he posed the question to me, have they changed something or is it Sydney doing it? I said, they've changed something. Whether it was a conscious decision or they just resorted to survival mode, their ball movement, and when the ball went into the middle of the ground and Callum Ward, an experienced player, played in big finals, took the mark, and his first option was to look sideways and then slightly backwards and kicked Mm. it there. I looked at how I said, this is different. That was with 18 minutes to go on the clock plus time on in the last quarter. 
and the risk of that, without going into too much detail, it means you're ultimately going to be playing the game in your back half. Yep. It means that you're defending for the majority of the time. You lose your forward structure because of the desperation of those forwards to try and support their defence. And they were just completely out. They were out of sync and they were out of structure. And that's what it looks like. It was 17 to 8 inside 50s yeah. in the last quarter. Yep. But by saying that, Giants had every opportunity in the third quarter to put it away. Well, Jesse Hogan. I mean, he marked, he marked everything that came inside 50. Which was a great sign. Yep. And then I think it was Lloyd that had the severe bounce, the right-hand bounce yep. that would have dribbled through if it had gone straight. So the game could have been out of reach at three-quarter time. And, and I think from an AFL perspective, and you've got a new team, the Giants have been in the competition for roughly 10 years. You're thinking, how can we build some rivalries? That, that's what you want. We can only hope, Dale, one day the Gold Coast get their act together and that Brisbane Gold yep. Coast rivalry becomes what Sydney and the yep, Giants exactly. have become, whether it's finals 100%. and this, this record of you know, how many times they've met in finals and the infancy of the Giants and they've had some great home and away clashes. Yeah. Three times. And I think they've played finals five there. the last six years. Real so feeling. I think from a competition perspective, it's a little bit of a different angle. Yep. That rivalry is real. So, seven points up with nine minutes to play, and the Swans kick six behinds <laughs> to finish the game. And so, Heaney, who kicked the first two goals of the fourth, and he was monstrous with four good. goals and 21 disposals. Hickey, Bell, Wicks all get gettable, misgettable set shots. Then Perryman, the lunge on the line, that was a match saver. He had 29 disposals and, and maybe saved the game. When Franklin steps up, though... From his spot. <laughs> From his spot. Outside 50. Versus Adelaide. <laughs> and I just, that's, that's where my mind went to straight yeah. away. And already you, you see Hawthorne people were t- putting me, Buddy kicks him for the team that he cared about the most kind of thing. <laughs> um, but that in that moment, and, and I'd actually tipped the Giants to win, but you couldn't help, in, and any footy fan who was a neutral fan in that, couldn't have helped going, mm. oh, this... This is another. This is going to be another Franklin moment yeah, yeah. that will sit in Folklore. alongside yeah. all the other the thirteen, the seven. You know, the, the goal against it, you know every moment that he's had. This is going to sit up there. Yeah, uh, and and it wasn't, and it just faded to it, the. It was set up right for him. Side. I think of all those options of those missed opportunities in the last quarter. That was yep. probably the hardest of, of the shots, mm. which would have made it even more buddy like. You know, you're right. You picture that one that he jumped over. I think it was a Collingwood player running through oh, the, the hurdle. Of yep. And you're right. This would have just added to the catalogue of why this man is exactly who he is. Yep. Another conversation off the back of this, and I don't want to divert, but I sit here the morning after. You cannot tell me that there is enough resources put into goal kicking every day of a preseason and every day that these players are at the football club during the season. That is what that's what inaccurate mm. goal kicking looks like. It cost the Brisbane Lions mm. in previous years multiple times. We saw another example Geelong yesterday. Five twelve, five thirteen for the yeah. second qualifying final in a row. Another example of what goal kicking can do to you if you don't get mm. it right. It, and they need one out of those six and life's okay. They live to fight another day. And this is the question, trying to work out who's actually going to win this thing. So who's going to execute best on the day, Dell, yep. forward or centre? Because of the midfields left, there's just quality. Yep. Of the defences left in the competition, uh, they're going to stop plenty. But who's going to get the connection right and make the best decisions? And and, and that's been an issue for a lot of the teams across the competition this year. Who do you? I'll pose well, one to you really early, to both of you. Who do you think is the most reliable forward line right now? If you said, okay, all being equal... I want to back this forward line in well, to I know feel that like they're going to make the Melbourne, most of it. Melbourne yeah, okay. right now, and, and mm. you can't have said that all year. Yeah. But I feel like that if they if they uh, protect the ball well 
and and weight their kicks well. I mean, that, that's where they've obviously been a lot better, hasn't it? Just mm. their forward to centre, lowering the eyes, nicely weighted kicks. They used to bomb blast, you know, the chaos. They used to have like a weight of numbers. Just we, get it in there yeah. and we'll work it out. Now it's got a lot like of method around it. A little more. With, we with got Mel- Sammy. Well, with Melbourne all year, we've all been going, looking at our watch going, geez, you better you need to figure this out because we're, we're getting close. We're getting close to finals. You've got to hurry up. And Ben Brown took nine marks yesterday and I still, I'm not, the jury's not out for me, but I don't know if I, st- I mean, they seem to have got it right at the time that matters most. And we are going to speak about the D's going into the finals. I would have thought Geelong, but that didn't come off. So at the moment I would say Port Adelaide and with McStay going down for Brisbane, that was a massive, that, that was a turning point in that game, which we'll speak about as well. At the moment, I'm thinking Port Adelaide's might be the most reliable because I think that's the only place where Brisbane were able – and, again, we're going to talk Melbourne and Brisbane later. The only place that Brisbane were able to exploit a weakness in Melbourne's defence is when the ball hit the deck. And if you saw what Port Adelaide did to Geelong in that space yep. on Friday night, I start to think, well, of the sides that are in the best form as we move through finals, which is those two sides because they've progressed, well, Port Adelaide's forward line looks like it may have the ingredients to – maybe bring Melbourne unstuck at ground level mm. if they play yeah. it smart. If you get Marshall on a good day, if you get Big Charlie, who I'm a massive fan on, on a good day, and I actually thought he was really, really good on Friday night, Charlie Dixon, without mm. necessarily clunking them. And we always hear this about the key forwards. You've just got to compete and bring it to ground. That's what that looks like on Friday night. That's exactly what he did. So why sometimes, Endel? Yes. I don't want to be the <laughs> negative guy. Why does he sometimes go one hand? Because I think that he, and this is my honest opinion, without knowing definitively, I think he's honestly just trying to bring the ball to ground. He's in a position. He's often got two on him. He's getting bumped in air, which makes mm. your body turn and twist. And I, I, I saw the – and I was like, that's no, interesting. I just feel like sometimes when he's going one-head, he could clearly go two. Yeah. He's a mountain of a man. So you're right. Anytime he brings ball to ground, Robbie Gray and Rosie and Butters, all these guys are just Fantasia. licking their lips. They're yeah. getting front and centre, bang, crumb, goal. That's what I was thinking on but Friday night. Just back to the point of the goal kicking. So that's a great point that you make. And it's been discussed at various times during the year. West Coast – have said, no, we actually encourage our guys to, to have as many set shots as they possibly can. I'm wondering when the penny will, will drop, Dell, and you'd know this because you're in the four walls and have been more than, than Brett and I, but when will the penny drop to say, okay, yep, we hear you sports scientists, but games are being won. So th- this game for the Swans wasn't one I lost on fitness and tank. Yeah, They had all that, but it was lost on accuracy. Mm. So both when mental, the, both mental and physical. Absolutely, is but goal when will kicking. the pen, because you look at golfers? Yep. all they do is practice their swing. NBA players at the free throw line, hours and hours and hours just drop. How many do I get in a row? I don't leave training until I get X amount in a row. We've heard all the stories about the very best, and you know, Brett. Even in tennis, I mean, how you, you, that backhand? How often do you hit that backhand <laughs> before just, it's and a lot it, of balls. the racket's yeah. an extension of your arm? Yeah. So when do we make that same leap? To I go, don't know, but I, I don't know, Sammy, because that. That penny should have dropped already. From from what we've seen in costing games, that mm. should have already happened. I'd like to think, please, that this might be the defining moment where clubs take yep. more or put more emphasis on it. Yep. So let's hear from John Longmire on what the Swans will room most coming out of this game. Oh, well, I mean, we're looking at probably the last quarter, obviously, we the two goals seven, but it was the first half, we were probably inefficient going forward. Uh, we had uh, you know, plenty of chances uh, to be a bit more effective and uh, with our entries and we probably we weren't as effective as what we wanted to be. We fixed up in the second half. Um, we probably let them score a little bit too easily inside 50 at times as well. So you know, they're probably a couple of areas that we look back on. But um, even so, you know, we, as I said, we had the 20 inside 50s more and gave ourselves every chance. 
He also spoke about how they were feeling as a footy club after the loss. Well, we're shattered as a footy club at the moment. It's uh, and we had twenty more inside fifties um, and kicked two goals seven in the last quarter. So um, it's uh, it's a gut wrenching way to finish the season. It was can't help me. It'd be as you know, I'm just so proud of this footy club the way we've, we've been able to right the way through, been able to to face the challenges head on all through this season. And uh, we did it again tonight, we're at five goals down and kept coming and coming. Uh, and uh, gave ourselves you know, what we thought was every chance to win. So that was John Longmire underwater uh, in a press conference. Amazing technology now, what you can do when you're fully submerged in a water. Maybe even in one of those old-timey diver uh, after 18 <laughs> helmets. Months, after 18 months of living on Zoom, surely we can get f- some good internet connection. Did you hear the first one or two questions yes, of that I press did. conference? I, I think did. it might have been one of the local Tasmanian journalists said, John, what about the Tasmanian experience? What do you think? <laughs> Come on, you've got to be just it lost twice. by a point. Oh, no. Yeah, that's... Asked it twice as well. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> what are we talking general big picture We're... Tasmania right We now? are all for you, Tassie, and we are right <laughs> behind you. But just maybe reading the room ever so slightly. <laughs> so hey, yeah, he, so, touch, he touches yeah. on a couple of really important points yes, for please, why Dave. they rude so many opportunities. So they were obviously feeling it, or John, in reflection, felt it in the first half about missed opportunities um, going forward and not capitalising or possibly not even getting a score out of it. But when you've had 20 more inside 50s, I haven't looked at the numbers overnight to see how many times a team has lost when you've had that much dominance in your forward half. But to kick two goals, seven... From that, sorry, when he, when they, yeah, sorry, two goals, seven in the last quarter from 18 inside 50s when you've got everything you'd want from a structural perspective behind it, it just simply goes back to those those missed simple shots. So I'm even going to yeah. take Buddy out of it for a moment and that snap one that um, uh, Perryman got a fingertip to, but four simple options or simple opportunities. So Leon Cameron spoke about the last few minutes of the game. Yeah, they were, uh, I mean, you're never done against the Swans, uh, let's be honest. Um, they always fight it out. Um, and um, at any stage, did we think we were comfortable? We probably missed a couple of really crucial shots in the third quarter and we just opened the door. I think we kicked three in a row that, uh, you know, were pretty gettable goals and maybe could have put the margin um, out of their reach. But then um, by the time the end of the third quarter, we gave them an opportunity um, opened the door up and away they came. So, um, yeah, it was one of those classic games where, you know, probably we had the better of the first half and up and halfway through the third and then they clearly their last 30 or 40 minutes was was very good to try to run us down. So that was Leon Cameron. Uh, they, the stoppage goals was a major factor for them. They kicked four goals from stoppage, three of those stoppages inside Ford 50 and that second quarter, a six-goal term, five unanswered in that and a 41-24 to 24, uh, contested possession count. Really did set up uh, a winning position from them. Dom off the text, 0433 Swans are generally super accurate, so clearly struggled to judge the tricky uh, 
breeze that goes across Launceston. That's an interesting point. Um, well, look, we could do a lot more on this game, obviously, but we want to talk about the Ds as well. We have to dedicate a fair bit of time to Toby Green as well uh, today. But so the Giants go through to play the Cats. Jeremy Cameron will take on his old side for the first time. A one-point win uh, to the Giants, and it was a nail-biter and everything you want a finals to be. That's what the first quarter was for Melbourne and Brisbane. I can't, that, I can't rem- That's as good a first quarter as I can remember seeing. 33-point um, win to the Demons in the end. Number one defence versus number one offence. That first quarter had it all. It was fierce. It was fast. It was fun. The ruthless attack on the ball, the Ford 50 pressure, created goals. Charlie Cameron, if you didn't think he was a bit peeved by not being all Australian, three goals in that. <laughs> Pickett's goal was as good as you'll yep. see. How good a start was this game? Five goals, Brilliant. four, plays four goals, two yep. to, to open up a game. Yep. You're spot on. The best defence versus the best offence, ultimately what wins out. Well, at quarter time, BP, we had no more clarity on where no. we started in regards to that. And this is the way that the game probably played out afterwards was the class of Melbourne, and I think the right result in the margin was about right by the end of the day. But that first quarter, it was good fun. Uh, it was great fun. Uh, but down as the match went on, and I've called Melbourne a bit this year, and the word I, always comes into my mind, Dell, is trust. I feel yep. like I can really trust Melbourne. doesn't guarantee they're going to win the premiership, but they're much more trustworthy. Their, their ball movement uh, is, is terrific. Uh, their pressure was outstanding. Uh, and everyone sings the praises of Clayton Oliver for very, very good reason because yep. he was the man. Oh. We'd be the first quarter into a game. You look at the stats, he's had two handballs, uh, sorry, two kicks, 11 handballs, all stationary handballs. Now he's breaking from stoppage. He's kicking the ball. Yep. Uh, he's actually making great decisions. Four that, goal assist huge. BP by foot. Yeah. Four goal assist by foot. He's changed, And that's been his biggest change is the way that he's used the football. Now, it doesn't mean that he's always the most accurate kick. No. He doesn't need to lace him out going forward, but he takes he the did. best option. Well, <laughs> he, he can, and I'm not saying he, he can't. But his ability to get outside the stoppage. Yep. So to get from point A to point B, he's cruising speed. So just his ability between, say, between the arcs, for example, is exceptional. And you, you throw in Petrarca... The balance of harms through there is now Brayshaw, Langdon on the other wing. And I think they outworked him. And I know that's a really general term, but enough times last night I'm watching it and they're coming out the front of a stoppage, Mm. um, the Ds, and the Brisbane Lions are are not goal side. They they just outworked him out of a stoppage. We we can't just spend two minutes on this game. So we've got a break (laughs) that we have to get to. We're going to come back and go into a bit more detail. But I want to ask you about the turning point in the game where – Dan McStay oh, yeah. cops some friendly fire. He goes off and takes no further part. Reese Matheson was the injury sub, and it was almost you just knew at that point that that just played into the hands of what Melbourne loved to do, and that dominate the air in defensive 50. So we'll get your thoughts on how Brisbane approached that. The Melbourne pressure was amazing. We'll talk more about Oliver and Petrarca, the games that they played. Uh, Lockie Neal had 46 disposals in this game as well, and Charlie Cameron, five goals. But what it means for the Ds, and are you a believer now for the Demons? This is Sunday crunch time. The results this weekend for 40 Winks. Serious about sleep. Celebrate the sleep event of the year. The sale at 40 Winks. Back after this. Welcome back to Sunday Crunch Time. You can get involved across the weekend on the Southern Phone open line. Great value NBN broadband offers from Southern Phone switch to Southern Phone. A lot of text coming through uh, in regards to the Toby Green incident, we, which we are going to address, but we need to give uh, ample enough time to uh, wrapping up what was a phenomenally strong finals performance from Melbourne. So I said in the intro that the, the, the question mark on Melbourne was, yep, yeah, you can be the best side, uh, you can be the best team of the regular season, but have you put the demons of the past behind you and to bed, and are you able to get it done in finals, Dale? 
Uh, it, it, you would know in your playing time, that's the biggest question for, for teams during the regular yeah. season. How do you take that form into the finals, which is an area that Melbourne are unproven? Yeah, and you have doubts. I mean, as much confidence and self-assurance that you would have off the back of the evidence that they've had this year, you still have those feelings in finals. You have it in round one as well, BP, where you've done this massive yep. pre-season. You're like, I wonder if that's all going to stack up now that I'm playing mm. against comp- uh, opposition. And you have the similar feeling, no matter if you played a lot of football or you're just starting starting out, you think, I wonder how I'm going to go in a finals environment. How different is it? But you used the word before, and it was trust. So now I look at the Melbourne style of football. I look at their styles of players and the way that they play. They are a trustworthy team. Now, we think about finals, and we still can't put our finger on why exactly it happens, but more pressure, BP, more tackles, more stoppages. The game is at times slower and more controlled, particularly in the back half. Melbourne are as good as anybody in the back half, so you can trust that system when it's executed anywhere near where it should be. That midfield is built for finals. Now, maybe they're missing, and I say this with a lot of politeness in it, maybe they're missing a bit of flair and and just that guy that could, as good as Petrarca is, but someone that's just going to use their feet and use the ball exceptionally well. They've got really good kicks, but that midfield is built for contested possession. Mm. They're big-bodied mids that love to put their nose over the football. That's perfect for football, uh, for finals football. They surge the ball forward. So the question mark becomes, and it has been for a while, is their is their forward line going to hold up in finals? I'm a massive fan of Bailey Fritch. Oh. He's to say Four he's going yeah, yeah, to course. say he's going under yeah. the under the radar is probably a bit yeah. unfair because he is getting some recognition. Yeah. But he's been targeted inside 50 49 times this year. Sorry, he's been he's taken 49 marks inside 50 this year. The next best is Tom McDonald with 28. Bailey Fritch is 188 centimeters and just and 84 kegs. He's a hybrid mobile and forward. He's not a key forward, but he's playing that role. He kicked seven goals at the MCG in the five last uh, the last five goals at that game two weeks ago. Rolls down to Geelong and just had the one. Then rocks up last night and dishes up four goals. And missed All-Australian. And, and missed All-Australian. He's the number one goal kicker in the number one team. He's and kicked 51 yep. goals for the year. I mean, I mean that, yep. that structure of a forward line can be potent because it is so unpredictable at times. So I have a lot of trust that that style of football can hold up in finals as we saw last he, night. He is the X factor, Fritch. I mean, he can he can be in a position where he's not supposed to mark and get himself into a position mm. to mark a footy. Yep. On any angle, he's a pretty good kick. I mean, he can just sort of make something at a half opportunities. I think McDonald, we've sung his praises all year. I mean, he's got that defensive nature. So if he's caught behind, he's instantly getting a fist in to bring it to ground because he pick it gets excited and yep. Spargo gets excited and, and that forward line lights up. I mean, Sam, you touched on it a little bit earlier. So if it is going to be Melbourne, Port Adelaide that get to the big dance, mm. is that the way what Port tried to do to Geelong to unsettle this very stable defence who have a predictability, know where the ball's sort of going to go? We're going to change the angles. We're going to go in differently. We're not just going to, you know, just put it into the um, the benefit of the defenders. So is that what maybe Port Adelaide would be looking at? Is That's how we might be able to break Melbourne because right across the ground, I mean, I think they've just about got it covered. It's the only time that Brisbane were able to to inflict damage after quarter time and that was when the ball hit the deck. Yeah. Uh, and Cameron, uh, who was phenomenal with five goals and McCarthy as well and the Smalls were able to, to get involved and, and, and be able to do some damage. But on their defence, Simon Goodwin spoke about the defensive effort yesterday. In terms of how we played, um, you know, we speak about that a lot, but you know, I thought defensively after quarter time, we were really sound, you know, we're playing the best offensive team in the competition and to keep them to five goals post quarter time, I thought was an outstanding defensive performance and you know, everything that we've been building in terms of how we wanted to play was on display and 
Um, you know, it was full credit to the players. You know, they prepared well. They reset themselves from last week and they knew it was a new season and, and that's the way they wanted to treat it. He also forecast whether or not there'd be any changes uh, going into the, the into the prelim. Oh, yeah, look, we'll assess that, you know, depending on who we're playing against. But, you know, the guys that played tonight, I thought the majority of them were outstanding, you know, if you go through that. But, um, yeah, we'll get all the information. We'll get, get the medicos to have a look at everyone, make sure we're all clear, see how the boys pull up. But at this stage, the 22 that played tonight were, were pretty solid. Um, but, you know, we don't know who we're playing. We'll wait till we get that and, and make some decisions. So the Brisbane Lions averaged 97 points for the season. They, they gave uh, just the 60 last night. So yep. is that a combination of the Brisbane Lions kicking nine goals, six, and not being as potent as they had been, of which Charlie Cameron kicks five of? Mm. Or is that a highlight of how good this defence is for the Ds? What do you think? Well, I think possibly a combination of both. Now, without analysing it to death, every time I watch Port Adelaide do what they do really well, every time I watch Melbourne do, really, uh, do well, they always have a roll-off defender. I'm instantly telling my forwards to hold is a hold six forwards. Now, the, the the risk that you run when you do that is you may expose your midfield because you don't ultimately have that support coming up, particularly around the ball. But if you want to stop the intercept defenders, you've got to make them accountable. They have to play on someone. Don't allow them to start the game getting exactly what they want. So they overwhelmed the lines as we know. The pressure was just phenomenal. But as I said, the big turning point was McStay going down. So Lions took only five marks inside 50 for the game, just two contested marks for the game where Melbourne took 12. Ben Brown had nine marks. Max Gorn had six. But Chris Fagan was asked after the game about what they'll do structurally um, without McStay. Uh, well, we've been the best offence in the competition this year, Ashley. We don't jump off the, off the ship in one one poor performance, um, you know, we, you tend to back your guys in. Um, you know, we'll obviously have to make a, a change with Dan, Dan McStay going down and not being able to play, so there'll be some tinkering that we will have to do. Um, but outside of that, you know, we, we, we actually haven't got too many guys that are playing football at the moment. Uh, our reserve team hasn't played for quite a few weeks, so it's not like we've got a whole lot of fit, match fit guys sitting back uh, waiting for their opportunity. We'll have a bit of a hit out tomorrow. Um, but, you know, it's it's with COVID and how it's affected VFL footy, it's 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 a little bit of a strain to, uh, you know, have players ready-made available to come into your AFL team in big finals. He also spoke about what went wrong from the Lions' point of view. You know, we lost, we lost contested possession uh, and the territory battle, uh, which is crucial against Melbourne. Um, you know, we, we we knew that back in round 12. We won those battles in the first half and had a good lead at halftime. In the second half, we lost pretty conclusively. And tonight, um, for a big, big part of the game, um, they were able to dominate that. And we had to defend 60-odd inside 50s, and that's a little bit overwhelming to, to expect your defenders to do that continuously. So uh, I think that's the... Bottom line, they, they had probably uh, more contributors on the night. We had a number of players that played below their best. And, um, you know, in a, in a big final like that, when, when we are playing against a great team like Melbourne, um, you can't afford to have any passengers. So no Hipwood, as we know, and now no McStay for next week, you would feel. When Danaher goes roaming, as he does, and that's his role in the team, McStay is, is undervalued, maybe externally, for how what he does to straighten them up. Yep. Um, so I want to ask you now, once that happened, Dell, in this game, how did you feel Brisbane 
adjusted. Their greatest challenge was always going to be able to minimise the damage of the half-back line of the Ds. As soon as McStay went down, and I think Fags even speaks about this in the post, you, you never have a key forward or a key player as your medical sub. It's just too risky to try and identify, hey, we're yeah. going to have someone just in case that's going to fill this specific role. You try and have someone that's a little bit more general, they were always going to really struggle. So as I look through the numbers of last night... McStay went down really, and that was a shocking knee to the face. Cool. Like, it was horrific. And hopefully he's okay. I haven't heard the diagnosis. But then what do you do? So is it then Zach Bailey? And you try and use Zach Bailey in that Isaac Heaney role of yesterday when Bud went up the ground a little bit, as Joe Danaher does at times. Who's going to be that point of difference in your forward line? Can you get that match up? And as I look through the names now, Tom Fullerton played there a bit last night, not up to it at this stage, particularly under that amount of pressure last night. You're extremely limited. So now you... Do you compromise and bring a player that you think has the possibility maybe from the back half and then compromise your back half to stabilise and give yourself a, ch- ch- a chance in the front half? Paul Ruse has a theory, and this is going back many years. Never change something that's working. So you look at the uh, Lions back half, for example. You say, okay, that's working. Never change something to replace something that's not working. Keep what you've got locked down and then find a different way to make that forward line work. Can I just say, the forward line, no doubt, plenty of uh, the whiteboard to have a look at this week with the magnets, but the footage of Harris Andrews last night uh, was pretty damning. I mean, he can really have bad. these sort of days really where bad. whatever angle you look at it, you're going, what's going on out there? We were watching this last night. <laughs> Where's the intensity? Where's the urgency? Where's the, the close checking? I, I, I hope that he's injured. And I don't mean that in a bad way. No, the way that he moved last night, he has to be injured for not only his first effort, but the follow-up follow up or the lack of follow-up afterwards. He looked like a man that has a sore back mm. or is labouring. I think Jonathan Brown mentioned last night a sore knee. Whatever it was, he was underdone. The unfortunate part about that is this morning, it's bad luck. It, you cross the line, you're fair game. You, you've got to go up and roll the sleeves up and get going. But he did not move anywhere like he has when you know he's been the All-Australian fullback. And the idea looked like he was trying to, uh, uh, I suppose, dictate where he thought the ball was going to go and be there for that. But that takes the stay at home. That takes the designated drive. Yep. So I want to ask you about two players. So Marcus Adams yep. in the side, more muscles than a seafood store at times. And, <laughs> and, and, and I watch it as someone who has no uh, muscles, definable uh, muscle yep. Yep. Uh, of any, not alone. in any way, shape or form. <laughs> I'm more just soft. Uh, yeah, You're I've a got, dumpling. I, I am. Yep. That's exactly what I am. I say that politely. So I, I have nothing but respect for Marcus Adams. But I look at guys like that and yep. you sometimes get frustrated at watching going, you could physically dominate everybody. Does he exert... Enough physical presence for you? Uh, interesting question. I wouldn't say he's he's really out muscled off the top of my head. I can't picture him getting thrown around. Um, but you could probably give more. And with the lack, of, so I just had a look at Harris Andrews' numbers last night. This is not to beat down on a man that I think he, was injured last night. Yeah, and, and he's, he's had, a, it, I love Harris. And Andrews. We all do. And he's had the fourth most goals kicked on him this year. Yeah. Of any player, the All Australian fullback of the last couple of years mm. has had forty three goals kicked directly. Directly on yep. him, not even when there's handovers or not even when it's the team defence, directly 43 against him. He just did not look right, which probably puts more emphasis on Adams and a handful of others. Darcevich as well. Don't discount the fact that Darcy Gardner's been missing a massive yep. part of the year, which he is so vital to what Harris Andrews tries to do. The other one is Joe Danaher. So they lose McStay, and then you think, okay, well, Danaher's going to have to go back to being a stay-at-home forward. Now, we love the quirks of Joe Danaher. We love the eccentricities. 
we love that he sees the game and plays the game a little bit differently to most, which is fascinating and fun to watch during the regular season. Did you find it frustrating last night to see U-turns and not first handballs given, uh, to try and check sides yeah. on his left boot, boot to players running past on his left-hand side like a Gaelic yep. sort of player? Um, th- is, is that something that they'll have to speak to him about now that they are so under-resourced for key tools inside Ford 50 that you have to say, we can't have you making it up as you go yeah. along. We go back to that word again that BP mentioned with Melbourne, and the word is trust. Yes. Those actions are untrustworthy at the best of times during the regular season, let alone in finals when you are under the pump. I, I felt like that last night. Now, with players like Joe, and there's a handful of probably every team, you need to take a little bit of the good with the bad. But those – and that, that check side across the half-back line that went five metres directly to his left – you don't even practice that. That That is never in the resume of any style of play that you would ever do for any – so, no, I think you just got caught up in the moment. You, you, you don't want that. You play percentages in finals. It's not on tricks. It's based on fundamentals and executing your role, and none of those actions that you've just touched on would be anywhere in their game plan. Really quick one before the break. Uh, a lot of texts uh, coming through. If Melbourne lost Brown or Fritch right now, who would be the biggest loss? Fritch. To play us to the argument on the text. To play yeah. us to the break. Interesting comments from Ed Langdon last Ed Langdon last night, who made some comparisons between Simon Goodman and Ross Lyon. He's walked these back and has uh, reached out, we believe, today to, to Ross Lyon just to explain these. He made the comments on AFL Nation last night, and we can speak about him on the other side of, of the break, and then we'll get into Toby Green. But this was Ed Langdon had a ripping game. I think he ran about sixteen k's and was incredibly damaging out on the wing. This is what he had to say in comparing Simon Goodwin to Ross Lyon. I've come from, um, you know, five years of the rough line method, so it is a, absolutely a nice change to have someone as cool, calm and collected as Goody. I don't think I've heard him raise his voice since I've been at the club. So um, coming over from Freo when, you know, you don't look rough in the eye in a meeting and he <laughs> starts yelling at you, it's, uh, <laughs> that's been a nice change. Station to the commentary box, ringerswestern.com. Never have the AFL Nation commentary team looked as good as what they do now and it is all hands down trust me Mm -hmm. all hands down we've all got mirrors we know where we (laughs) scrub up we all know that it's all due to ringerswestern.com I look at jealousy uh, as the guys just swan around in their very sharp kits and boots yeah so the comments that we played into the break if you didn't join us was just an off the cuff sort of remark from Ed Langdon speaking to AFL Nation last night after Melbourne's 33 point win over the Lions the differences between Simon Goodwin and Ross Lyon. Nick Del Santo as a devotee yes. of the great Ross Lyon. <laughs> yes. How did those comments sit with you? Which he has walked back a bit and reached out to Ross to clarify. I'm apparently. perfectly fine with players speaking their mind. I think we need to encourage that. So I've got no issue with Langdon's answering the question in whatever manner that he wants to. I was surprised that he felt that way. That was the first time I've heard it. I, I read it, the transcript last night. I actually thought it was a little bit probably more jovial and a few more jokes and laughs as he was saying that to say, well, look what it was like at, at Freo. Ross, if you didn't look him in the eye. So I'm surprised that it wasn't as jovial as what I first thought. But by saying that, that was never my experiences with Ross for six years at St Kilda. He never yelled at, it, yelled at us once for not looking at him in a meeting. Toby Green. Let's address the very, very substantially sized elephant that is in the room. So uh, going into the huddle and uh, Matt Stevick is standing perfectly still. Toby Green disappointed and upset with a decision that had been made earlier. Clearly was pointing out and continued to walk 
didn't look to deviate from the main camera angle we've seen, and it looked to have made uh, front-on contact with Matt Stevick as he pushed through to, to get into their huddle. Did stop, did turn around and go back and keep talking to Matt Stevick, um, but it was a confronting moment, I think, took everybody aback when they first saw it. Let's first listen to what Jared Whateley had to say because this is the this is a, a very good summation of, I think, a lot of people when laying first eyes uh, on this situation. And it's not just a one-week suspension either. Don't fall into anyone who has a debate around Toby Green. This action in the game was just... It's, everybody, as soon as you saw it the first time, you went, oh, hell, you simply can't do that. It's got nothing to do on. with personalities... It's simply the action, and if the game is serious, it will be a multi-week suspension. And this was Toby Green with Luke Hodge, uh, thanks to Channel 7 after the game. Well, we saw that you had a collision with the umpire running past. Was that looked like you were tractor being running towards your teammates and an accidental bit of contact? Oh, I, I don't know what it was. It, it, yeah, it was just in the moment, and um, no, I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't even touch him. I think I was just talking to him about, um, about something in the game, but yeah. And then Leon Cameron uh, in his press conference after the game. Yeah, I just had a quick look on the way in here before, guys. Um, very hard for me to comment on it. Clearly, it's a talking point, but um, all I know is it wouldn't have been intentional. In terms of, I just I love the way he goes about things. I know he's a talked about player, um, but I'd like to, you know, really hone in on the positive stuff. I thought his first three quarters were unbelievable. All right, let's. <laughs> Where do we start? Well, let's start with both of you. Yeah. Um, when you first saw it and then to where you sit now, have you changed your position at all? Or are you like uh, Glenn Jakovic, who was today saying that uh, Toby Green should be suspended for 12 weeks? Where do you sit I'm on it, not, I, I read those comments last night from Jacko. I'm not that severe. I was sitting next to Jared Waitley and Anthony Hudson in the studio yesterday watching that, and when I first saw it, I was completely with Jared. I was like, oh, my God. Did that really just happen? Mm. Did a player just walk past an umpire, regardless of what their surname is, and and looked to make contact shoulder to shoulder when he had, in my opinion, other options. So that was my initial reaction. I'm with Jared. I've softened a little bit on the force of the contact. I haven't softened on the intent and the other options that Toby Green had. I'm a massive Toby Green fan. I feel, I feel like I've even put myself out there a few times against yeah. the grain to say, no, no, those previous actions that he's been reported for or fined for, I didn't think were as severe as what some people have felt about this guy. Yesterday really disappointed me because... He, he was obviously caught up in the moment, but yep. of all people in the AFL that get scrutinised for any incident, it's him. He should never put himself in that situation, and I think it's going to cost him again. Well, I'm not in the mind of Toby Green to know if it was absolutely intentional, but there is no way he should have made any contact with that umpire at all. There is no way. He clearly could have avoided him. So I think it's worth more than one. I'm not 100% sure what it's worth. I need to probably think about that more through a big uh, day yep. of footy, but... Uh, he should never have made contact. No, look, it did not look good. They need to be radioactive. It's almost like you tiptoe around. He should, yeah, he I, had, I agree he, with that. So he had a choice this, five metres before there. He had a choice. Five metres before he had a choice. So this is what will be assessed yep. today from the MRO. If they, if Michael Christian believes that it's intentional contact with an umpire and that is that it's aggressive, forceful, demonstrative or disrespectful, it will be deemed intentional and the player will be directly referred to the tribunal. If he doesn't think it's intentional, it could go down as unreasonable, unnecessary contact with an umpire where it's not aggressive, forceful, demonstrative or disrespectful, but could otherwise be regarded as intentional. It will be classified as unreasonable or unnecessary with an umpire and subject to a fixed financial sanction, which was what Lockie Neal got. But Green did make uh, contact with Jacob Mollison earlier in the year. Very Mm. similar. More to discuss. This has been Sunday Crunch Time. 
When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.